0: Sleep and time off. Is it possible to catch up on sleep? And if we do try to catch up on sleep during our time off, is that even a good idea to binge sleep? As rural emergency room closures continue to happen across rural Canada, what are paramedics facing? The Winnipeg Blue Bombers move to 8-0. and oh. We checked in with defensive back Nick Taylor and the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor, on another big win for the blue and gold and it's already august and i don't know about you but i have a tendency to feel this midsummer guilt Do you i'm brett mcgarry alongside greg mac i'm brett mcgarry alongside loren mcnab and greg mackling who's back from vacation next week we are mackling mcgarry and mcnab and this is the tuesday august 2nd podcast for the start McGarry and McNabb Mackling on vacation for another week and then it's my turn Uh, for a few days. Loren McNabb back in the house after doing the show for the most part last week in a parking lot (laughs) somewhere in western Manitoba.
1: Clear Lake for the most part but yes, uh, had a great visit with my family and so thank you for letting me do that from the roads so that I could be with them. I was going to ask, are you away next week? I was trying to figure out what the schedule is supposed to be.
0: Yeah, next week it's my turn. I'm heading out for the uh, the the 24th annual Laker Classic. Round one is at Shiloh on Saturday, and then from there we head out to a place called Oak Island, which is near uh, Oak Lake, kind of ballpark vicinity. Verdun, of Verdun. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's a great course, neat spot. I always like enjoy that uh, driving through there. There's one part. Where it, like you, you come over a hump and then it goes way down into this valley and then back up. It's not, you know, there's a flatland prairie boy. It's kind of neat to, whenever you see any sort of undulation in the road. It's like, ooh, hills.
1: I love that. Even, you know, whenever you go into Westman, it's always just more hilly and more valleys, right? And you always exclaim like, oh look at that. And then when you see a real hill, you're like, wait, wait a minute that's a hill that,
2: okay like
1: every time i drive into riding mountain like when you see the escarpment yeah you can see it from a distance that there's this obvious escalation uh as you go into the park but it's not when you're doing it you, like when you see it from a distance you can tell but when you're on that road you're like uh and they get to on a knoll which is on a knoll like a hill but you're like, <laughs> it is. You
0: know? Yeah, like when I was a kid, I used to think the, that Crocus Hill at Crocus Park on Redonda in Transcona was this yeah. big, massive hill. And now, whenever I drive by it, I think, <laughs> hey, look, it's fun. It's a fun little toboggan hill, but that's it.
1: That's it's- why I always laugh at kids in wintertime who are like tobogganing into the ditch. Because it's the mound of snow from the snowplow and then a ditch, and that's, you're like, that's it. That's what we got. <laughs> got to work with what you got, man.
0: But uh, I have a question for you, Loren, because I am um, I'm feeling something that I that I, I think I've come to realize I feel every summer. It's this, like, midsummer guilt. And I, I, I sort of came to this conclusion because Sunday night I had all kinds of wild dreams, and every single one of them – had to do with like morality and ethics and guilt, like uh, caught one of my buddies cheating on his wife. And then the girl who I was dating, apparently I have a girlfriend in my dreams. She was cheating on me. And then my mom showed up. It was my mom's birthday yesterday. It wasn't exactly the way I wanted to, to see my mom, but she showed up in my dream and started yelling at me about something that I'd done wrong. And then I woke up and thought, what was that? And then I fell back asleep and had more. Of the same dreams. And again, last night. And, and I finally realized I guess I'm feeling guilty here. And I think it's because it's the annual, okay, it's uh, midsummer and uh, I haven't lost the weight I wanted to lose because I've been, been trying to shake my pandemic weight specifically this year. And uh, You know, August is typically the most expensive month of the summer for me. Haven't saved a dime in preparation for that. And it's just like, summer is so much fun, but now I feel so much guilt.
1: You put all this pressure on yourself. And by you, I just mean the collective you. We do it all every year where you're excited for summer. You maybe have a vacation planned if you're lucky enough to do that. So then you get to that vacation. The vacation goes well. You come home. You look at your bills from vacation. So that's part of it. You're like, oh, well, that didn't that cost me. Or you come home and you, you know, you lost, you didn't sleep properly or you enjoyed yourself immensely, but you're 15 pounds heavier from your vacation <laughs> or, or what have you. And I think a lot of people get, then get to August and they want so badly to enjoy August because it's like, you know, it's sort of a last kick at the can, so to speak, before the end of summer. But you feel this, I woke up at 1230. I was telling you like in this panic, like thinking about all these things that were coming in September yeah. and October and figuring out how do I find a way to hit, pause, relax, and try to enjoy what's left because now you're past that halfway point, right? Mo- most of the is now behind us, and I hate saying that. So you feel all these things, like, conflicted.
0: Yeah, so we're going to talk about guilt at 6.45 and tell you how you can win yourself some tickets for the Burt Block Party Friday, August 19th to see Nazareth, Streetheart, and the Headpins. And another thing that I think I often feel guilty about, Loren, is the fact that... I, in spite of the fact that I hate waking up in the morning and getting out of bed, I also seem to hate going to bed. And as a result, I never, ever get enough sleep.
1: No. And so we're going to talk at seven o'clock with Dr. Rebecca Spencer. We're going to share some audio that uh, she had in a conversation with our overnight show, Shane Hewitt on The Shift, about sleep and this whole idea of like, well, what actually is The perfect amount of sleep. How much are we really supposed to be getting? You might be surprised at her answer. She also talks about the vacation and how you try to either fix your sleep schedule on vacation or you might do the opposite. Like my vacation this year was all about seeing and doing and and experiencing things with our kids. And so therefore you're cramming so much in that you're like, I'll sleep at another time. And then I came home from the vacation, loved it but now I need a vacation from the vacation yep. because you're exhausted, right? Yep. And so, or your weekend, you cram so much into your weekend that that's why I think, on a, especially after a long weekend, today I woke up just, like I said, I woke up at 12.30 in a panic. Summer's <laughs> halfway over. I got all the stuff I have to figure out for September, October. Then I was like, and I'm still tired. Got less sleep on the weekend than I did during the week. And you're just, you know, so sleep will be a big part of our conversation today as well.
0: Yep. And and, and on the subject of uh, the the amount of sleep that we need, uh, a reminder that teenagers need more sleep than the rest of us. And I always end up telling, because Greg's always lamenting that his boys, you know, oh, the boys are still in bed. I'm like, dude, they're teenagers. No. They need way more sleep than you
1: do. Now, what's going on in a teenager's body? A, we would never want to go back to, but yeah. B, like, they need, to, they need to soak it all in. And so you might be that parent, too, uh, at this point in the summer thinking, oh, man, my kids are, like, doing, like, 12, 13, 14 hours sleep. September's coming in hot. Like, what am I going to do <laughs> to fix that pattern, right? So it's all, it's, it affects all of us.
0: An environmental activist group is taking action on Vancouver Island And uh, they're allegedly deflating tires on SUVs.
1: Yeah, let us know what you think about this story because there are drivers in Victoria and in a neighborhood known as Oak Bay that have woken up recently to flat tires. And as Global's Richard Zussman explains, the group is calling themselves the tire- extinguishers, and they're basically taking ownership for this stunt.
3: It has been a global mission, targeting SUVs, deflating the tires. Now the group calling itself tire extinguishers have hit BC. The more I thought about it, the more angry I got about it. Bob Kennedy got a text from his daughter, who is nine months pregnant, Friday. Her SUV won a 34 in Oak Bay in Victoria that had been tampered with. On each car, the activist leaving a printed letter. It reads, We're taking action because, like so many British Columbians, we have felt angry, powerless, afraid, and overwhelmed at the global scale of the climate crisis. Adding, The people whose tires we have deflated will be inconvenienced, but ultimately we will be able to get around by using public transit, walking, or cycling, like so many residents of Victorian Oak Bay do. This is not the way to get the message across. And they're targeting the wrong people. There's just uh, too much suffering for some people. Again, my daughter, not too bad. But, but there are other people they may have to urgently get to a medical appointment. But a dozen people have come forward so far to police here in Oak Bay and in Victoria about having their cars tampered with anyone who had a tire that lost air on Friday or Saturday, is being asked to come forward to police in both communities. They don't think through the consequences of what could happen. It's a criminal offense, and it could seriously hurt or kill somebody. The organization is calling on a ban of SUVs, arguing they produce higher carbon emissions than other cars, an aggressive form of activism similar to old-growth protesters who blocked highways it seems that they at least came to realize it's not working. And, and they publicly came out and stated that they're not going to do that anymore. So I would hope that this, this new movement that's come about will, will come to that realization as well. It's unclear whether any tires or vehicles were permanently damaged, but what is clear is this group plans to continue targeting SUVs in this province. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.
1: I own an SUV. I've got kids, a dog. We've got things to get to, and it's in part for space. I would not appreciate waking up in the morning to my tires slashed. Do we need to do more to combat climate change? Sure. Do I try to do my part? Yeah, I don't take that SUV into the city if I don't have to, unless I'm doing big grocery trips or anything like that. I use my smaller, more fuel-efficient car. But this this is not the way to go. And further to the point, like if the tire has a slow leak, unless it's slashed... And you know that the 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 tire the car doesn't operate as normal off the hop. You might not notice right away, mm-hmm. and then you could find yourself in a serious situation. So I I get I get the frustration for people who are really looking to find change for the environment. I get it, but I would be tacked if this happened to me.
0: Yeah, like the goal for any protest is to get people to pay attention, to raise awareness. So, mission accomplished. Like, both of us caught this headline this morning and thought, hey, this is interesting. Uh, but the protesters referred to the, they used the word inconvenience, and that actually really made me angry, because this goes way beyond inconvenience. Like, a surprise protest march down Portage Avenue, that's an inconvenience, right? If you're in your car, and suddenly there's this protest, marching down the street yeah you know you might have to sit there 10 15 minutes and curse and swear and wait for them to, to go past that's an inconvenience but having to deal with flat tires on your car and I don't I don't know if they're flattening all of the tires or just one on each but that's still that's a uh, that could be potentially a, a setback for the day or a monster setback if it's all four tires and uh, could also be as you mentioned it could be catastrophic because if you're driving down the street you don't know your, your tires flat uh, because not everybody knows that, right? You're driving, you're like, "What's going on with my uh, with my car?" Oh, I got a flat tire.
1: Yeah, I guess that. And to, to bury one of our listeners said, "Loren, they weren't slashed; they were deflated." I'm I'm just saying, if if they were tampered with in any way where you don't notice right away, I'm saying unless they are slashed, which, which immediately deflates the tire. If you're just taking the air out, it's the slow drain of air. You might not notice until it's too late that you, that your tire has a problem, and then you could be in serious trouble if you hit something, and then it bursts or what have you so i just think it could be dangerous it's dumb there's got to be a better way than that but to your point we're talking about it
0: reminds reminds me kind of uh remember that cycling group a few years back maybe going back over 10 years now i can't remember what they were called critical mass or something and they were blocking streets in winnipeg and like there was an ambulance i think that was trying to get through this cycle protest and uh they wouldn't move For like a a flashing ambulance trying to get Mm. someone to the hospital, like this, this is the kind of protest that, like, I get it. You want to make your point, but do you have to do it at the expense of others? And at what cost? Uh, Is your message that important to you? We want to talk about guilt right now for a chance to win yourself some tickets for the Bird Block Party Friday, August nineteenth. Nazareth, Streetheart, and the Headpins, and this has to do with midsummer guilt. I don't know if you feel midsummer guilt ever, but I seem to go through this every year where I feel guilty about the fact that I've either gained weight or have failed to lose weight, or and then I also feel guilty about the fact that I kind of spend too much money and then find myself in a position where I'm, uh, things are a little tight, and uh, I, I feel like I shouldn't feel guilty about that because it's just, I, I basically feel guilty about the fact that I'm having a good summer, which is so like, why am I punishing or getting angry with myself for enjoying myself? Although last night, I, to be fair, I went, I shouldn't, I feel guilty about the fact that I went to the store and bought a bag of sour cream and onion, old Dutch chips. Why? Delicious chips, but I inhaled them like an animal. And when you're trying to lose weight, the last thing you need to do is stuff 2000 calories down your throat or whatever it was, but they were very tasty. And then I fell asleep. Because I I crashed. So, what do you feel guilty about? Do you have midsummer guilt? Do you feel guilty about it? And if you don't have specifically midsummer guilt, what are the dumb little things that you feel guilty about when you know you maybe shouldn't uh, feel guilty? So, why don't we start with Jeff Braun back from vacation. Hey, Jeff.
4: G'day. Uh, Yeah, every time the calendar hits August, I I get a little bit depressed because... I'm the guy at the party that's like, well, summer's half over now, we're (laughs) on the downhill slope to fall. And I was like, there's still five whole weeks of summer left before the September long weekend. So I don't know why I do that, but I do it every year. And it just August just bumps me out for some reason. And yeah, and then I feel like I wasted the summer. I feel guilty about that. It's like, I haven't done anything, you know, really summery yet. I've only been on my bike once. And I mean, why and. for what maybe I watched six movies this past weekend, like, go outside JB, what are you doing? You don't need to watch you know, Furious 7 for the 12th time, but I did, because it was on TV
1: But it's your vacation and you're supposed to relax in your vacation
4: <laughs> I know, but I mean, you know, I, I had like a a winter's vacation in the summer. I spent far too much time indoors.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But uh, I get it. I think the September thing, too, like, you know, we still got until September 22nd is the end of summer. But, yeah, I think a lot of that maybe just comes from when we were kids. You, we had July, August, and you get to August, and you're like, yeah. oh, man, we're already seeing back-to-school signs. Don sent us a picture of somebody spotted pumpkin spice ah. Werther's uh, candies in uh, connecticut so, like already with a pumpkin spice come on now
1: werthers should feel guilty for just even being worthers, let alone adding <laughs> pumpkin spice to it
0: uh pointress what about you
2: you know what also i've noticed is that the every year the back to school commercials come on one day earlier because i saw back to school commercials this past weekend It's way too early for that sort of thing. I mean, that would make you sick. It would make me sick to my stomach when I was a kid and you watch that stuff. And it usually would start like mid-August. Now it's like at the end of July. It's getting ridiculous. Uh, But things I'm guilty about this summer so far have to get out to the beach to see my family out near Victoria beach. I have to take my dad out there. haven't done that yet. That's on the, that's on the list. I have to take my mom out to go see the races at Assiniboia downs. I got reminded of the Manitoba, um, the Manitoba Derby this, this past weekend or yesterday. So I was reminded of that as well. And I uh, have to get my suit. My brother's getting married in, in a little over a month. So I have to get a suit for that. So those are the three things I have on my list. Um, so yeah, thanks for letting me share that to the to the entire world. Cause I was not totally <laughs> embarrassed about that.
0: <laughs> By the way, my, I, one of my buddies and I won't identify him. He has he's already had two weddings to go to this summer. He has two more this month. That is an expensive. Yep. You talk about summer expenses. And four, four weddings,
1: four weekends of your summer. Not that you don't enjoy seeing your friends at the wedding, but if there's travel involved or you need to even just leave the city, you know, you, your your whole weekend. I is got I got back to
2: back Labor Day weekend, back to back Saturday Sunday, oh, and wow. so that's going to be a marathon. That's enough for the next three years for me. Like two weddings. A- yeah, my brother Saturday, and then uh, my wife's best friend Sunday. So oh it's man, back to back, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's gonna be fun. I'm looking forward to it, but that's enough for two years. I don't need to go to a wedding for two years after that.
0: Yeah, it's busy, a busy season, no doubt. After two years of people just waiting so they could have the ceremony, the celebration they want to have for sure. Aaron, what about you?
1: Okay, well, I, I've actually had a great summer. I'm not feeling bad about not doing enough summery things, but it is August, and what what have I not done this so far this year? I have not stained that darn deck, <laughs> 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 which shouldn't need to be stained every year, but here I am. And so I felt fine about it because it was so wet in the spring. There, You need to have a couple days where the deck is dry and you need to know you're going to have a, at least a full dry day ahead so that you can... Stay in the deck properly and it won't get wrecked, which I think was the mistake I made last year because it's just peeling like mad. Then we went away in June and then July hits. We're like, wow, well, it's already July. <laughs> and it there has That's been that weird weather where it, there is rain in the forecast like with it every 48 hours it feels like. I yeah. haven't been around for that stretch. And I woke up this morning and I stepped out on the deck and I looked around and I was like, like, can I get away with not – I mean, summer's over.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you faced with a similar dilemma Every last year? year?
1: Last year, though, I did it, I think, in June. But and w- by September, it was wrecked.
0: Wasn't the deck, of the, but wasn't the, the air conditioning at the end of last and summer? And then the
1: air conditioning went at the end of the summer, yeah.
0: And you're like, oh, I think we can make it. I think and then we it can... got super hot again. No, and
1: then it got hot again. So I feel like <laughs> I know I should do it. I just don't want to. And then I feel like every time, I, it's to the point where I can, like, you can't enjoy, we have a lovely backyard, we work really hard in it, and I get out there and I sit down and I just look around and I think. <sighs>
2: <laughs> uh, I can't wait to own a house. <laughs> I,
1: mean, you know, I would suggest just don't have a deck. Like have yeah. a have like a, I don't know what the alternative, get some AstroTurf. <laughs> You don't even have to cut it. Don't even cut it. Just, like, get that fake green carpet that's everywhere
0: now. (laughs) What about you, Forte? I have not been working out as much as I'd
2: like. Like, I need to pump these guns, man. (laughs) (laughs) And they're not getting pumped. And that's all my fault. Like, in the winter, I had this plan of doing, you know, 100 push-ups a day. And I was going to get some sit-ups in there. And then all of a sudden, the weather gets nicer. And I changed the dumbbells for beers. And uh, it's just it became a disaster. It really did.
0: Just gotta, downhill. Got to pump these guns. That's right. Yeah, and I guess now that I mention it, I, I I feel guilty too. Whenever you, Loren, you mentioned when you look at your deck, you feel guilty. When I look around my apartment, I think, oh, yep, haven't really done a good job at keeping this place clean. Uh, and then I think sh- I should get up and do it. And then I just carry on watching Star Wars cartoons or whatever I'm doing. <laughs> so. <laughs> Ron, you're not alone watching six movies. I watched two seasons of the Clone Wars on Disney plus nice why not why not Sunday I will say i one of the movies I watched yesterday was
4: Rocky Four and if you tune into the sports show with Christian Amel tonight you can hear me and him talking about it Oh
0: nice so fun. one of your faves yeah that's one of my, that's that's my favorite rocky movie one of my all time favorite films is that the ever. russia one yes yeah. That's right. Ivan
1: Drago. Forty, that's what you need in your life. More of like a Russian prep for a fight workout.
2: <laughs> that's like, true. Like, I do know, need like that.
1: P- pails of stuff on a stick. And like, <laughs> you need you a know?
0: montage, Forty.
2: <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Yes, I do. <laughs> Just listen to the training montage song while you work out. That'll help pump you up. Sleep going to talk sleep right now because it is elusive for so many of us i would just like to get myself loren into a normal ish routine where i'm up until or i don't nap during the day where i just stay up until seven eight nine o'clock and go to bed and try to get at least five hours straight that would be nice i can't seem to last night i went to bed at a decent time mm-hmm. woke up Four hours later, it's like, that's my, that's my max four hours. And then I got to wake up.
1: Right. And then you have to figure out how to get back to sleep again. I would like to wake up just once and not have my first thought be, can I snooze? <laughs> or when will I be able to go back to sleep again? Right. Because I'm filled with so much emptiness yeah. on the sleep tank. But, <laughs> you know, on the shift with Shane Hewitt, that's our overnight show here on Bay, They talked sleep with Dr. Rebecca Spencer. Uh, she's an associate professor in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. And she said one of the most difficult questions to answer, and I wake up every day feeling I had this sleep deficit, but she says even for her, it's hard to answer the question, how much sleep should you get? Some of that
5: should comes even from our physicians and um, society saying you need Uh, seven, eight hours of sleep each day. And yet I will admit as a sleep scientist that we actually don't know how many hours of sleep an individual needs each day. I can estimate your individual sleep need, but yours is likely different than mine, which is likely different than many of your listeners. So I think that's something that we're still learning. How much sleep does one need? And we can only say at an individual level, don't get hung up by expectations that you hear, but instead find that amount of sleep that you need to feel good about yourself. The other piece that I think we overlook is it's not just sleep time, it's sleep consistency. How can you sleep well and what can you maintain night to night? So if we're going from, you know, three hours, four hours, five hours on a weekday and then trying to catch up with 12, 14 hours on a weekend that's called social jet lag. And it's, you know, jet lag, like we might experience when we travel is never comfortable, and it's really unhealthy. And so sleep consistency is the piece we don't talk about, but just as important.
0: That's a fair comment, too, because that's basically my routine. <laughs> I barely get enough sleep during the week. And then on the weekend, sometimes binge. I get too much sleep. Yeah, you binge, And then I wake up uh, tired because I slept too long. Uh, and then how about sleep on vacation? Do you actually use your vacation to catch up on sleep? Uh, or sometimes it's one of those vacations where you're just trying to fit a ton in.
1: Yeah, and then you don't get any sleep and you come home more tired than you were before. Or you might leave the weekend more tired. And so Dr. Spencer was also asked about that. It's not just about sleep consistency, but yeah, when was talking about getting back into shape, well, you need to get your brain back into shape with like sleep conditioning.
5: I think we always have to have expectations of changing sleep in small increments so you can't expect that you're going to go to bed and gain two hours every night but you also can't just go in and try to shorten it back after the vacation's over either so uh, i like to think of it as going in 15 minute increments or 30 minute increments and just giving yourself increasing the window as you uh, have opportunity. But I also have to point out just like we can't always like, or, or we might have these expectations around sleeping with vacations, I think the opposite is how quickly we compromise sleep when we're working, how quickly when we get too busy, sleep tends to be the first thing to go. Um, You know, we have students that brag about pulling an all-nighter to get ready for an exam. So I also think we need to be cautious about that opposite side when we just get busy and what else, what do we cut from our schedule? And it's often sleep rather than trying to find some other things that preserve sleep somewhat um, and then, you know, maintaining our sleep as much as possible though.
0: It was a fascinating conversation with uh, Dr. Spencer, and we're going to share some more of this through the morning, and you can go to the audio vault at cjob.com. That conversation aired uh, from one thirty-five this morning to about 2.15, and then it replayed at 4.35 and into the 5 o'clock hour. But we talked recently about my uh, alarm clock mishaps, my ongoing alarm clock mishaps, and a question was asked of her, should we go back to the traditional alarm clock?
5: There is kind of this move towards really minimizing the lights in your room. So it's not just the, I'm picking up my phone and looking at it, but you can also be, a lot of people are really sensitive to any little LEDs around the room. And so you want something with as little, uh, little light as possible just to even prevent those distractions.
1: I am guilty of that. The, the phone, I think, it needs to leave my room <laughs> because it's just, it's too quick to pick up. It's also what, what keeps me from falling asleep because I'll watch a show on it or I'll send a message or I'll be texting with friends or family or you wake up in the middle of the night and why do I feel the need? Like, I check the phone for the alarm and see what time it is and I double check to make sure the alarm's set and then I, while, I'm, while I'm here, I might as well check to see that nothing happened. Like, Do I need to know what happened in the middle of the night <laughs> overseas? It's not like, I, yes, I do, <laughs> At three in the morning, but I don't need to know that at midnight. So I I think I have to get rid of the phone altogether and go back to one. I want one of those flip ones. Remember the alarm clock that had the flipping numbers? Yeah. You could physically hear the pieces of paper moving them, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that might give you sort of like a metronome kind of sound as well.
1: And no light. I I can't also handle a clock that ticks out.
0: Oh no, you don't like that? No, I got
1: to move. I've had to move them. Like I could be at hotels or at a friend's place sleeping the night and I will get up and they'll wake up and say, "Where's my clock?" and I'm like, "I shoved it under your bed." Like <laughs> it's too loud.
0: We're asking you about either if you experience midsummer guilt or if you don't feel any specific midsummer guilt, like I feel every year. Just what are the silly little things that you feel guilty about that you shouldn't? You know, maybe you beat yourself up for something really dumb. Like, who cares if you haven't vacuumed your apartment in a few days.
1: Or like I, I, a couple of weeks ago, had this. we had this great weekend at home where everyone kind of did what they wanted to do. And I laid on the hammock for three hours and read and napped. And then at the end of the day said, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I did that. Like what a waste of my day. And my husband's, is that a waste? Or like just a really good summer Saturday, right? Why is it a waste?
0: Yeah, well, and that's an important to the fact that you're able to slow down for just a few hours and read. And in a hammock, no less. How wonderful is that? I
1: love my hammock. Like, I love it. I have to get a new one every two years because of the wind of Winnipeg and Manitoba. But other than that, and one of our listeners says, stop worrying about being guilty. You know, um, eat your chips. (laughs) It was basically the message from Nikki to you. and, And they added, hey, they saw Halloween cards at Dollar Store last week. Slow down, people, and just enjoy today.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I mentioned earlier I felt guilty that I went and bought some uh, big bag of potato chips and inhaled it almost instantly. Like there was just zero delay. It was I, I had the bag open as I was walking back to my apartment. I was already stuffing it into my face. I couldn't even wait till I got home.
1: I was more going to say you should feel guilty about that flavor you chose. Sour cream and onion is not my what? favorite. What I know, I know, and I have. I also was upset with one of my family members on the weekend who chose to get uh, mango ice cream. Oh. I just had no time for it. I was like, really? This is the choice we're making? She's like, what's it to you? I was like, ah, seems like. Why? <laughs> like, where's the chocolate? Where's the caramel? Where's the nuts? Whatever it is. But, but mango? Now you're just being healthy with your ice cream choice?
0: Yeah, like, you can add fruit to ice cream if you want. But, but like, ha- start
1: with a good base.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then if you want to put in bananas or strawberries, whatever, fine, go nuts. And then her daughter chose strawberry.
1: And I was like, this family is too much for me. (laughs) Just too much
0: fruit in this ice cream. (laughs) It has been a perfect season so far for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers who enter the week undefeated.
1: Yeah, and that's after that big win against Calgary where the Winnipeg was actually down four times in that match. But each time found their way back. Lars Going
6: to the end zone for shown and he's got it for the touchdown. Dalton shown his second in the game and the Bombers are back in the lead. Well, Leggio's kick is up and it is good. It's the Bombers 32 and the Stampeders 28. Snap good. Kick up and it is good. Leggio pounds it through the end zone. 27 seconds remain. It's the Blue Bombers 35 and the Stampeders 28.
0: What a feature game of the two top teams in the CFL. All you could ask for, and then some.
1: So the Bombers now sit 8 0. Next up, Montreal. Won't be much time for rest for that game. The team leaves for Montreal tomorrow for a Thursday match. We're joined now by Nick Taylor, defensive back for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Good morning.
7: Good morning. Good
0: morning.
1: Before we look ahead to Montreal, I, I think we just need to look back at that game and that big win Saturday. How does it feel to be undefeated at this point in the season, Nick?
7: Um, it feels good. I mean, literally here at uh, you know at our facility with our team, we just take it one game at a time. So, I mean, I guess we hear it more from outside it's not our records and whatnot. But you know, as far as we look at it, we just look at it as one game at a time. but right now, we, we're, we're already on to Montreal. You know, we have to be
0: focused on Montreal, the, the past, the past, but we're ready for that. Nick, you know, I, I, I'm always impressed at how the, you know, your team, your coach, everybody has that one game at a time focus. But, you know, I imagine, I, I think back to when I was a, a kid, you know, playing sports or whatever, and it was impossible. You know, I was never that focused. Uh, so clearly that takes some, Some. it's not just physical training, but it's also got to be mental training to keep, that focus, that kind of laser focus. So, is that something that you guys work on as well? Not just the what's going on in the field, but what's going on in your head.
7: Yeah, I mean, it starts with, at the top with O'Shea, you know, he, he gets that in our head. But um, uh, we have a lot of veterans on this team, and um, ultimately, our goal is a championship. And you know, we've been there the past two years where we won a championship, and a lot of people we want more. So, we, we our, our, our main focus is. How can we get better to reach our goal at the end of the year? At the end of the year, we can look back and, and, and go through what we really did or, you know, how great it was if it you know, turns out to be that great. And we we'll look back then. But right now, and we, just, we just, like I said, we we'll try to take it one game at a time and, and next up as much show.
1: You mentioned the veterans on the team, and much was made coming into the season about so much of your core was still the same, Nick. So I'm curious, how do you compare what you're doing this year to last is something different happening on the field, or is it that just the evolution of your game and, and an improvement you're just seeing week over week?
7: I mean, last year we were a really, really dominant team, and this year everybody you know is definitely gunning for us even more than last year, and they're giving us their best shots. So, I mean, to be able to take everybody' best shots every week you know, and 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 come out on top, it's just been. A great thing to do. So I mean, the best on the team. We just try to keep everybody you know, level-headed. That you know what our main goal is and, and what we really trying to reach to. So that that shows you know the, the veteran leadership that we have around and how everybody just try to keep them, everybody going throughout the whole year.
0: So Nick, no real rest as Loren mentioned. You're off to Montreal tomorrow. How would you describe the schedule so far this year? Because from where we're sitting, it's been kind of goofy here and there.
7: Um, I mean, it's been fun for us. I mean, you get to play football. You get to keep playing football. I mean, other teams get the rest and stuff like that. But as a kid growing up, you want to play ball, football or sports every day. So we get the opportunity to keep coming back out here after a game, come back in four days, five days, we embrace the opportunity. And, and we, we're ready to go you probably would have been ready to go the next day. So that's the job mentality over here. And that's how we keep it pushing forward. It, it really hasn't been, it's been crazy looking at it, like if you look at it on paper, but, you know, when you're in the building, you just oh, shake give us enough rest and prepare us and our team prepare us mentally and physically to get the job done. Well,
1: it's funny you mentioned rest because we've been talking this morning, Nick, with some sleep experts about how much sleep one's supposed to have. You know, is it eight, ten, five hours? So, like, what's a good night rest as far as you're concerned?
7: Um, I just had a newborn, so I got a, I got a, a two month, two month, two week baby. So whatever I can get, I can get right now. But before I used to get probably about nine, ten hours. You know, I get a, a couple hours nap after practice and still get like seven, eight hours at night. But now it's just whatever I can get. So it's probably be about five, six hours. It's Getting a little bit better for me, but normally it would probably be like nine, ten.
1: Did you say the baby's two months and two, like, two months and the change, Nick?
7: Yep, yeah, two two months, two, two and a half months.
1: So does your partner buy the excuse, I have a game tomorrow, I need to rest, or do you have to get up anyway?
7: <laughs> yeah, I don't really get away with that one too much. <laughs> too much time, you know, because dealing with him a lot, so I try to give her as much rest as I can with it whenever I get back, because he's dealing with him the whole time I'm gone, so... I try to help out as much as possible. Try to be as much a super dad as I can, and look out for mommy too. So it's been it's been it's been a, a good, entertaining ride so far. But um, like I said, I embrace it, um, having fun, enjoying the season. So, well, that's it My-
0: <laughs> well, Nick. Hey, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Congratulations on the successful season thus far. We look forward to you taking on Montreal later this week.
7: Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm looking forward to
0: it, too. Nick Taylor, defensive back with your Winnipeg Blue Bombers, your undefeated defending, two-time defending Grey Cup champion, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, after a big win over Calgary. And worth pointing out once again that the Bombers have just as many wins as the entire East yeah. Division, eight wins for the Bombers, eight wins for all four teams in the East. Toronto has three, Hamilton has two, Montreal has two, Ottawa has one.
1: An incredible season so far. If you're a fan, let us know how you're feeling about it at this point, because I had said to you, Brett, I get a little stressed when teams go undefeated like this, it just seems like some the other shoe has to drop, mm-hmm. so to speak, and and then part of me would rather have that back and forth year and still get to the championship and you know have this undefeated run because it, i don't know it just makes me nervous.
0: Yeah, it, well it, it's funny too because here we have a team that was 7 and 0 now they're 8 and 0 and still there have been i think i've heard more people talking about doubts about this team than last year's team or even the the previous great cup champion team it's all it's almost like i don't know if that's just a winnipeg psyche thing or if that's a gen, if that's a sports thing where it's like we can't We don't give our, as a city, we often don't give ourselves enough credit. So therefore, by association, we don't give the team enough credit. Does that make sense? Like the team said, they're undefeated and and people are still thinking, well, I don't know, there's a kind of touch and go there.
1: I wonder if it goes back to, I think it was 2011 when we had that year, uh, Swaggerville, Mm-hmm. year and we we were feeling really good about ourselves and we had Swaggerville t-shirts and we, I don't know if we were undefeated, but we were, you know, say eight and two or, you know, the, the run was, was pretty sweet. There's a good run going and that sort of fell. Yeah. And so then you try not to get ahead of yourselves. Like we learned the hard way to not get ahead of ourselves, but man, we're two-time Grey cup champions. We're eight and oh, mm-hmm. and we were just saying this morning, stop feeling guilty or shame for different things. So let's enjoy this to, until Thursday and then we'll see what happens Thursday. <laughs>
0: Bombers are going to yeah. crush...
1: 48 hours!
0: They are going to crush Les Gentiles Alouette in Montreal on Thursday. Lotto max jackpot for tonight, by the way, is 50 mil. And speaking of lotteries... Our first winning number tonight is 67. That's followed by... 45. Up next, we have 57. Your next number is 36. And your final white ball number for this Friday evening is 13. Now for the mega ball number that is 14. Again, tonight's money numbers are 67, 45, 57, 36, 13. And the gold mega ball is 14. One winning lottery ticket was sold in the U.S. for the $1.34 billion mega millions <laughs> jackpot called Mega Millions, but it uh, should be maybe Mega Billions at this point. Julie Walker has details.
5: According to the Mega Millions
6: lottery, that winning ticket was bought in Illinois. The numbers were 13, 36, 45, 57, 67, and the Mega Ball, 14. The jackpot was the nation's third largest lottery prize and the second largest Mega Millions prize. It grew so big because no one had matched the numbers since April. In addition to the top prize, six tickets were sold that matched the second prize of $2 million each. I'm Julie Walker.
1: So as it stands right now, no one has come forward to claim this prize, Brett, and not that they won't. I hope it's not a scenario where someone lost the ticket because that would be brutal, but you might not know you You were the winner to begin with. I'm wondering if it's someone who's nervous to come forward. I just finished a fictional novel about a lottery winner who took Several weeks to come forward it was in that case, it was a story in the u s where they won one hundred seventy nine million again fictional but the the person was so nervous to do this because he knew as soon as they outed themselves like and said that we're the winner, the calls would start coming in right from strangers, from the diner owner up the street saying, "Can you help us with renovations from a brother that you hadn't spoken to in twenty five years who's now suddenly your best friend because you're a millionaire so I'm curious if that's the case here or if it's just that they they're just taking their time or they, they don't know they won. But financial expert Carter Cofield did give some warnings about anyone who has a big lotto win.
6: On average, 70% of people that win the lottery are broke within the three to five years. 70% of people are broke within three to five years. And 50% of those people say that their life is actually worse after winning the lottery.
1: That's depressing to hear, hey? Mm-hmm. I was reading as well this morning on Forbes about the taxes that get taken from that winning. So you only get that amount if you take it over time, that full amount. If you want it all now, it gets cut down to like $750 million. Oh, no. And then after taxes, it's actually more like $560 million, which is still an insane amount. But if you don't plan for it, you might end up owing, say, $95 million a year. In taxes and suddenly you've spent a dollar, bought an island and sixteen yachts and you don't have the money, right? So going broke after that win, that's that's that that number is they,
0: nuts. They gotta pay so they, they the Uncle Sam takes a cut initially and then they gotta pay taxes on top of that every year.
1: So what I'm reading, and again, this is just from Forbes. So what might happen, it depends on the amount. So the cash prize, if they take full cash, then there's twenty four percent IRS withholding. So then it drops down to that half billion. Uh, And then the warning is that you shouldn't spend all that because depending on where you are in your tax bracket and how much you earn off that even in interest, you'll be paying, as I understand it, Mm. taxes again. So you're not planning. You might not plan for that. Yeah, you like to think you're not going to spend half a billion dollars <laughs> in a year, but you never know.
0: Yeah, CNN's Harry Enten, uh, I guess, when the jackpot was around 800 million dollars, he was looking at some odds and he said, "You're, yeah, you you have way better chance of being struck by lightning than winning this particular lottery." But he broke down some numbers, sort of uh, that went that opposed what Carter Cofield was just saying. He was saying that that uh, people with after 10 years still tend to be wealthy. And he said that the notion that people are unhappier is, seems to be a myth because it, they reported that they were actually happier overall. Um, I think if I were, like, let's say I win won a $50 million jackpot. When the when it first hit $50 million and the city went lottery bonkers, um, had I won it, th- that was like 20 years ago or something, if, had I won it then, I could see myself burning through that very foolishly and frivolously going out and buying the biggest house I could think of and buying multiple luxury vehicles. Now, I think I'd be okay. My biggest concern would be because I would want to share it with all the people I care about. So I'd have to be careful with that, with how much I share. But in terms of my living arrangements, I don't need any, I don't need a gigantic penthouse.
1: I'd be right up to Greg how much he gave you. What? <laughs> you got 12, what? <laughs> uh, he gave you more? Is this based on how long he's known you longer? Is it like a prorated thing? Is it a seniority thing? (laughs) Just just riffs everywhere, just anger abounds. But
0: that's a funny, that's a thing to think about. If you share with people at work, you know, like, how do you, do you just draw out the line? Every single person gets the same or do who gets more? So, yeah, I like to think about these things because why not? Somebody's got to win.
1: Someone's got to win. And again, apparently one of our listeners says in Illinois, you, you don't necessarily have to disclose Your identity, but you do have to come forward. And in this case, no one's come forward yet to claim that ticket in Illinois.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was just Friday. They maybe haven't, maybe they're out at the cabin or something and haven't even bothered to check. uh, Or they had a
1: heart attack. uh, Wow. (laughs) I went dark. (laughs) Come on, man. That's a crazy (laughs) amount to win. Over a billion dollars. What would your reaction be?
0: Seems, Lorraine, almost daily. We are hearing about another ER temporarily closing in rural Canada.
1: Yeah, I think whether it's in a major city or smaller communities in rural Canada. You know, Ontario ERs, Newfoundland ERs, BC ERs, they're all struggling with this combination of limited staff and another wave of COVID. And here in Manitoba, the list of emergency rooms, particularly outside the major centres that are temporarily, partially, or fully closed, they they seem to grow by the week. I was taking a look at the schedule for the Interlake Regional Health Authority because they actually post what's going on in their ERs on a week-by-week basis. And so if you look at the schedule for today... There's no doctors available at the hospital in Ericsdale and Toulon, and there's limited hours at Arburg, Pine Falls, and Bozeshire. But that schedule is constantly in flux, and it's not the only health authority dealing with this. We know the Prairie Mountain region is struggling, and so are emergency rooms in the north. And so we're wondering, what does that mean for our paramedics who are tasked with getting you to the hospital as quickly as possible? How do they keep up with this fluctuating schedule? Bob Morose is with the Manitoba Association of Healthcare Professionals. Good morning, Bob.
8: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, thanks for taking the time. You know, I I had me thinking this morning when I was watching different headlines from across the country. If the schedule is constantly changing, and I can understand over a long weekend, that might be exacerbated. If it lacks consistency or is changing, what's the challenge for paramedics to try to keep up with all that?
8: Well, yeah, the the, the number one challenge continues to be... um, you know remembering that our, our paramedic staffing level is is at crisis levels anyway uh, even to begin with uh so the issue then when ERs are closing on a rotating schedule as you just described uh it it does become much more difficult uh you know our our dispatchers uh have to be uh, absolutely aware of, of where that crew is where the call is what's the nearest emergency room and if they're available so it, it's it's not only the paramedics on our trucks that are uh, having to travel further distances, for example, to to go past the closest ER that may be closed, but it's also the dispatchers who are also um, really having to to uh, have one more variable introduced into the into the world that they all work in, uh, that that adds uh, an enormous amount of stress. It ador- adds an enormous amount of time uh, that it takes for our paramedics to transport uh, that
0: particular patient to where they need to be. Now you mentioned uh, crisis. Level in terms of staffing—is uh, there have there been any situations where there just aren't enough paramedics on duty to assist
8: every single day, uh, without a doubt? Uh, our uh, we have um, crews that are covering crews from different areas. Uh, we you know we've uh, talked before about the the uh, ridiculous amount of hours that are down on a on a particular. Um, ambulance, because of short staffing. Uh, and it's in the thousands of hours every month. Uh, and that's not getting any better. So every time an ambulance is taken out of service because of short staffing, uh, the next station down the highway, for example, uh, has to cover for that. Uh, when that happens, that leaves the original spot with less coverage. And the domino effect is is really, really uh, what is creating the crisis right now. And response times.
1: So are response times growing longer? Do you have any sense of where that's at, Bob?
8: Yeah, anecdotally, we're, we're talking with our members uh, all the time. Uh, Shared health has uh, sort of stopped um, you know, sharing the information that they have. Uh, so it gets more difficult for us, of course. But anecdotally, we know, uh, especially on, on the long weekend, if, uh, even if a crew goes on a call that takes uh, an hour or 90 minutes longer than it should because they have to go to a different facility than they would have, uh, that just takes another um, ambulance out of the rotation and and not available for our dispatchers to uh, send to the next call. So they have to go down the list and find out where the next available one is and so on and so on. So, uh, yeah, it's been a staffing crisis uh, in the making for for many, many years. And uh, we're struggling to to see uh, any kind of plan from government or shared health. To address that.
1: What's the vacancy rate right now, do you know? Uh, because it's one thing to go through a long weekend or have summer vacation times. That can be understood, yeah. I think, by the population. But are we talking positions not filled? How many and how long has that been going on for?
8: Well, you know, we, we can be, it depends on the region, to be quite honest. Uh, Prairie Mountain, Interlake in the north are really quite bad. Uh, southern is a little bit better in terms of vacancy rate. Uh, But it's really, um, you know, not surprising to see 20, 25 percent vacancy rates. Uh, They have posted some positions, but it's also uh, a little bit difficult to uh, for paramedics to to move around the system uh, to, you know, one of their preferred regions uh, that that's not making life any easier. Um, But, uh, you know, the the biggest problem is, is is that it is such a high stress uh, job, as you can imagine. Um, there's uh, a lot of um, incentive for people to be leaving the the profession, and we 're seeing that, uh, whether it's going to Winnipeg, going to other provinces, uh, being recruited to other provinces, et cetera uh, we're not seeing any solution and and we we're, our paramedics are anticipating it's going to be getting worse instead of better over the next little while so
1: you yeah. me- I just wanted to jump in. you mentioned being recruited by other provinces, are they offering different sort of wages like incentives, bonus packages?
8: Well, yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, you you opened up this segment by talking about, uh, you know, healthcare in other provinces. And it absolutely is uh, a pressure across uh, the country, uh, you know, not only for paramedics, but for every allied health profession, uh, laboratory and diagnostics, um, you know, which, you know, you know, the lack of those sorts of professionals are what's contributing a lot to these temporary closures um, throughout the province. So uh yeah uh, other other provinces are going to start looking and, and if you look at uh even something as simple as our the wages that are offered here in Manitoba we are consistently among the lowest so it's very difficult to to compete uh if other provinces uh start coming in and uh you know trying to recruit qualified paramedics laboratory technologists diagnostic imaging you name it um it's going to be very difficult
0: Bob Moroz is with the Manitoba Association of Healthcare Professionals, joining us live on CJOB. Bob, thank you for this. We appreciate it, sir.
8: No problem. Thank you for having
1: me. We're joined now by voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor. Hi, Derek.
6: Hey, what's going on?
1: Well, I'm pretty excited. I was saying it's it's neat to be this point in the season and have this kind of record. But I'd like to ask you what's impressing you most right now when you watch these wins, and and they haven't been runaway wins by any shot. I think Saturday they had to come back from behind four different times. What stands out for you?
6: Uh, it's it's the way that they've they've handled the teams that are supposed to compete with them, right? Like it's it's been kind of a downer to watch. Oh, okay, well. 0 6 Ottawa is a team. Oh, they only beat them by one score each time. They kind of beat Hamilton in week three by 13 points, but that wasn't super impressive. But you looked at BC, was was off. This, this team scored almost 50 points a game. Oh, my goodness, they're going to be a real challenge for the Bombers. And the Bombers hit them for 30 in the first half. And you're like, oh, this game's already over. Wow, that's impressive. Calgary, we thought, would be great. And Bolevi Mitchell was off to a, a fantastic start this season. A lot of strength within that team. And the bombers just handled everything that was thro- thrown at them. The game against Edmonton two weeks ago was nothing to write home about, and we were concerned. Oh, is this who they really are? Well, like you say, they came back four times, and once again took every punch Calgary had, and including that incredible third quarter of touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. They hadn't allowed touchdowns on back-to-back drives all season long, and they did against Calgary. And what were they able to do to respond? Eh, just touchdowns, field goals, win the game, go home, snuff out Calgary's hopes of finishing first, and 8-0 on the road to an incredible record uh, when they go to their bye in a couple of weeks. It's it's just been so impressive.
0: Derek, I want to take a, take everyone back to the coach's show. Last week, you took a call from Steve, who had this question for the coach. So we're going to play the question, then the coach answer, answered, then we'll get you to weigh in. So this is Steve's question.
8: Saturday night, you guys are in Calgary. And here's the thing that my buddies and I are talking about: If you guys win that game Saturday night, you guys are are I mean, not clear, but gosh, the, the the road to first place is so much easier. If if the yeah, if if Calgary wins Saturday night, then it's game on. So, are, are you thinking that this game it has to be? a massive game for you right coach or or are you just telling your
7: players well let's treat it like like we always do and again you've won two great cups so i don't know
0: so first of all (laughs) love how steve uh, he was trying to like work himself up to 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 try to get it out of the coach but then at the end he's like but i know how the coach is going to answer and here's what (laughs) coach O'Shea said yeah I, i don't think you want to get in the habit of uh making one game bigger than the next, I think that will lead to fluctuations in preparation and therefore it'll lead to inconsistent play on the field. So um, I, I really, I've never
2: seen that that work, you know. Um, Which part? Stressing that the game,
6: this game is know, more important having than... Having one
0: game be more important than, than another game. You know, it's... The, the main thing, once again, is making sure that we're playing to our standard and we're not playing up and down to the standard of the opposition. So, um, as you said, it seems to be working so far. So, Derek, the coach, of course, was even keel as always. Again, that was on the coach's show last week. But to Steve's question, Derek, I mean, he, he broke down some pretty serious analysis of the, the, the future of the Bombers, like the Bombers' path through the rest of the season. So what's your take now that the Bombers did beat Calgary to move to 8-0? and Oh, in
6: advance of the game, uh, Doug Brown was giggling, but I was calling it the biggest Week 8 game of all time (laughs) because for just the reasons that Steve was saying, uh, they are, what, they're four wins up on Calgary. Calgary has some games in hand, but they're four wins ahead of Calgary, and they've already won the season series. So there is next to zero chance that Calgary can finish first in the West. So they now just have BC. They're three wins at this moment ahead of the BC Lions. And they've already won one game against BC. So it's super early. There's 10 games left for the Bombers. But 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 they're in such a great position. They've put themselves in such a great position for the true regular season prize of finishing first at home. They now play two games against Montreal. Montreal's a two-win team. So also in advance of the game, I was saying to Doug, only half sarcastically, hey, if they beat Calgary, they're going to go 10-0 and into the bye week, and they're going to feel unbelievable about themselves. And they have two chances to beat BC one time to pretty much just finish this whole thing off. So I was with, I was a hundred percent with Steve, like uh, Steve, Hey, it was, uh, I know, I know what coach says, but I don't have to think about how players will respond. I will agree with you that this is the biggest game, biggest regular season game in the league for the next 10 weeks. And it, it was And the bombers, whether they didn't believe that or it didn't bother them at all. They are in, I mean, I don't know that's 70, 80% of the probabilities of how the season will play out that the Bombers finish first in the West. Again, just because, I mean, they've taken out their biggest rival now twice.
1: Is there a risk to having this kind of record at this point in the season in terms of, not just undefeated, but, you know, eight straight wins and the fact that, that you need to have, at some point, some loss, and you don't want to cut it to come at the worst possible time. And so I know somewhere someone's booing my question Derek, but is there a risk to, you know, having this kind of record and creating that possibility of having too much uh, swagger as maybe we saw back in that 2011 team that dubbed themselves Swaggerville?
6: Well, I, you're right in that you can't win them all, right? The best record ever in an 18 game season is 16 and two. And it was an Edmonton team that did not go on to win the great cup. And well, that's, that's unfortunate, but for the reasons that O'Shea said, you know, we're, we take every game, you know the same, I've never seen it work that you you emphasize one game over another. I, I think because of because of O'Shea, because of that staff, because of the players, have seen the success in the last couple of years. I wouldn't perceive it to be a problem if they were fifteen and three, as Calgary has been in the past few seasons, or sixteen and two, or heaven forbid, even better than that. The thing, the big thing for me as an observer is. Once you get to those high heights, you know, as long once they clinch the West, they start having options, right, to get guys some rest. And you don't have to – none of us have to worry about pregame. Oh, is Jackson Jeffcoat going to play? Is Greg Ellingson going to play? Because we'll be looking at it and debating, well, shouldn't they give Greg Ellingson the week off? Shouldn't they give Greg Ellingson two weeks off? Whoever the injured player is at the time, not specifically Ellingson. You can rest those guys in advance of the games that matter. Because, frankly, I mean – we're all, we're all here for one thing right as bomber fans we're all here to watch them win the gray cup it's great to it's great they have six opportunities to win home games in the second half of the season but they want to win the third straight gray cup and we all want our our uh, you know fake rings as season ticket holders right we want more of those we want <laughs> our whole hand full of fake rings so uh, it's i think the upsides are way way more than the potential downsides because they're dealing with injury problems at a level that it's been a few years since they've had to and they're going to have options in how they how they rest guys if they keep the success up early here in the season.
0: Kelly Moore in view tonight for the coaches show, yes?
6: Yeah, I got. To, Montreal's a tough city to fly to and fly out of. So uh, Kelly's Whew. got it, and he'll take all the uh, questions and calls that you have at 204 uh, 68 there's gonna be a lot of celebration on the line. No one's gonna be asking about the run game, or are they the worst 8-0 <laughs> no team of all time? It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a party. It's gonna be great. And frankly, O'Shea and the Bombers deserve it. That was a dominant performance against the second best team in the Canadian Football League.
1: Well, make sure you carry carry on, to Montreal. Don't you be putting luggage underneath, Derek.
0: No chance. You'll sister. never None see it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Derek Taylor, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. want to talk about something we discussed earlier, and that's sleep because I think for a lot of us, even though summertime can be super relaxing, it can also be super hectic. and that often Loren comes at the cost of getting a decent sleep.
1: yeah, you I think many of us think we might slow it down in the summer and take time to relax or. Lay on that hammock as I was talking about earlier or sleep in on the weekends or, or, you know, just try to enjoy yourself a bit more. But when you try to enjoy yourself more, you do more or you stay up later, you eat more or you maybe you're having different substances that are changing the way you your night might go. And so that impacts our sleep, right? So Dr. Rebecca Spencer is an associate professor in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She studies everything that has to do with our brains, particularly our brains while we Sleep. And so she joined the overnight show, The Shift with Shane Hewitt, to talk about sleep. One of the things she was asked, How much sleep should we get? You know, we're all fixated on this eight hours a night. She said, Well, you know what? It's different for everyone. And so they don't know what the perfect answer is, but she knows each person is different. She was also asked about sleep during the summer, sleep on vacations. And she basically said, I'm paraphrasing here, Brett, but you can't catch up on sleep. You can't just suddenly not sleep during the week and catch up on the weekend and do that binge sleep in because you need consistency, I think was the word she used. And she also talked about not just consistent sleep, but the idea that you need to be creating a conditioning, like condition your body for sleep. Mm -hmm. And then she was asked about alarm clocks. So many of us use alarm clocks as phones.
5: I think the biggest problem with phones is our tendency to sit there late after we're, we're trying, we it's just beside the bed, but oh, I'll just look at it for a little bit while I wind down. Mm-hmm. So there you are in a dark room, but a light is just shining straight into your eyes. And then, hey, maybe in the middle of the night, you're having a hard time sleeping, rather than just kind of really challenge yourself to fall back asleep, I'll just grab my phone for a few yeah. minutes. And now you're shining light directly into your eyes. That's one of the biggest problems with phones is that it's light shining directly into our eyes, And light is what actually is gonna keep us from falling asleep. So, you know, people are so quick to turn to melatonin to help them fall asleep. We have melatonin, we just don't like how to access it. The only, the way to get your own melatonin to work is to sit in dim light for about 45 minutes before you wanna fall asleep. But that's what it's gonna get for your own natural melatonin to start trickling out. That's interesting. Yeah, we instead watch TV, we look at computer screens, we have a, a, a phone light shining in our eyes. And so that's going to make it harder for us to fall asleep. So, you know, I think the phone itself, as that, that's my alarm clock, frankly. But now and then, if I have a hard time falling asleep, I have a terrible tendency to reach over to that phone and, and do something stupid. It's counterproductive to shine a light at your face.
0: As far as the light situation is concerned, producer Jeff Forte and I both face this particular issue, because we have apartments that face west. Mm. and in in many ways, it's great because I can go out in the balcony and the, the sun I get like peak sun, peak heat, you know, two o'clock to about six o'clock. That's when the sun is, tends to be at its hottest and it's right there in my face, which is wonderful. But in the summertime with the extended daylight, when it's time, if I do decide okay, it's eight o'clock, I'm going to bed. Well, it's still bright out. And yeah, I know I can get some sort of a blackout situation for my window, but I got a huge window uh, and it's almost impossible to keep the light out. But it's weird. If I want to lie down for a nap mid-afternoon, no problem. And I think it's because there's an expectation that, yeah, it's going to be sunny. But when you go down at night for, you're trying to go to sleep for the night, you want it to be night. Mm -hmm. So it can be a little hard sometimes to go. I'll just be lying there like... Summer, I love summer, but I hate this need to sleep,
1: daylight. And you need, you know, you talk about sleep for your health. Sleep, is, if you don't get enough sleep, it can be bad for your weight. It can be bad for your skin. It can be bad for your memory. So Dr. Spencer, she talks about the idea that like, it's all about restoring your memory, your recall. And if you're sleep deprived, then you can't focus. And also there's a really important thing that goes on in your sleep. And that's your dreams. And you might be someone that says you don't dream, but she says that just because you don't recall your dreams doesn't mean you're you don't dream. And she was asked the question, well, our, what are we supposed to make from our dreams? Here's what she said.
5: I would have thought that that's a crazy idea. I don't dream of running, being chased by a tiger because someday I might be chased by a tiger. But that was this theory in the field. Well, one night I had a dream that my young daughter fell and drowned in a pool. Well, I'll tell you, I then enrolled her in swim lessons and she went on to join the swim team. I mean, so did I learn something from that dream? Absolutely. And so it's possible that some of our dreams at least do have a function like that to show us possible scenarios that we can then learn from. Now, is that an accidental function of dreams, like a side effect of dreams? Quite possibly. Um, But I don't think we should overlook that that's, that's something we get out of having dreams, especially in the cases that people are able to recall them.
1: So do you you learn anything from your dream was the question, right? And she said, yeah, like if I'm being chased by a tiger, I'm not preparing for a scenario to be chased by a tiger. But there might be something that triggers a thought or feeling in the morning. And you've had some bizarre dreams that spawned a whole other conversation today for us.
0: Yeah, that conversation about guilt came from my dreams this weekend because Sunday night I had just some like pretty visceral dreams and they all had to do with morality and ethics and guilt and shame. It was, you know, a one minute I caught my buddy cheating on his wife. And then later, the the I happened to have a girlfriend in this dream, but she was cheating on me. And then later on, my mom came in and started yelling at me about something that I had done. And then I woke up thinking, what was that? <laughs> and then I fell back asleep and had more dreams along those lines. And that, that was just Sunday night. And then again, same thing last night, more dreams. And I woke up thinking... Do I do I have a guilty conscience about something? And that's when I started to think, well, maybe it's because I've been feeling guilty about the dietary choices I've been making and I, how I haven't lost the weight I wanted to lose, the pandemic weight that I gained, and the fact that here we are midsummer, once again, every August. This I, It's not like it catches me off guard. I know it's coming, but I have not financially prepared for the expenses that come with August because it's usually a busy month for me, and uh, I feel guilty about that because, once again, I my... F- financial foolishness is going to bite me in the butt
1: in the words of Elsa let it go (laughs) (laughs) he got a frozen
0: reference in
1: (laughs) oh the worst that was the worst I almost sang it and then after Hal said I make all bad songs even worse I decided to let that one go
0: as well (laughs) there's not much to it just let it go well let 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 that guilt go
1: (laughs) let that let that money fly let the guilt go
0: McGarry and McNabb, do you feel midsummer guilt? Maybe you feel guilt for the fact that like once August hits, even though it's not like the midpoint of summer is August 7th, but maybe you sort of feel like you're that person who starts to worry about the fact that summer's already, the end is already nigh, so to speak. And you're like, no, there's still lots more summer to enjoy, but I'm already worried about it. And Jason, with a neat reminder here of things to come at the end of summer, he sent us a picture of a hummingbird outside his cabin and he says, hard to believe in one month they'll be flying 2,800 kilometers plus to South America. Um, and he just threw in a fun fact, which I think is super neat, that a hummingbird can fly over the Gulf of Mexico without stopping using stored energy. A tiny little hummingbird. We're I'm ta-
1: Googling this fact right now. <laughs>
0: We were talking the other day about monarch butterflies making their majestic journey, wondering how can something so small travel so far? So that's neat, Jason. Thank you for that. But we have tickets to give away for the Burt Block Party, August 19th, Nazareth, Streetheart, the headpins on the subject of guilt. And I think we're just going to go with Deborah here as our winner because she kind of helped both of us this morning. Uh, even though she was feeling a little guilty as well.
1: Yeah, you had talked about the idea, Brett, that you had had some sour cream and onion chips. You were talking about all sorts of guilt. Guilt with yeah. your money, guilt with your conscience, guilt with the this or that, <laughs> uh, your dreams. Your, <laughs> lots going on. But you, but the one Deborah related to was about sour cream and onion chips that you had, had caved and basically ate the bag. And she said, oh, I hear you on the chip cravings. Last night, I was craving dill pickled chips, but had none. Snacked on some Cheez-It crackers I had in the cupboard. Not the same as chips. I was just too lazy to leave the house to go and get some. So at least you walk to the store... And got them. She's fun. She's really reaching for the silver lining there. Yeah. And then I said, I sometimes even feel guilty. I love to read. I love to read in the hammock even more. And, and she had some feedback for me.
0: Yeah, that's right. She says, never feel guilty about reading too much. I just make that my goal for the summer. I'm currently on summer book number eight. My record for summer reading is 19 books. Enjoy that escape into a good book. If you like a good fluff read... Uh, Try Colleen Hoover, I read one of her books this summer in under 24 hours, and she gave all kinds of uh, great suggestions here. The Key of Light by Nora Roberts, Um, the Colleen Hoover book, It Ends With Us, is the one that she read in under 24 hours. The Winemaker's Wife, um, Five Days Left. Was the hardest book I read so far, and uh, the other books were Ellen Hildebrand books, which are easy summer reads. Enjoy that hammock. So all kinds of great suggestions there. If
1: you feel if you're a reader, and let me know how you feel. Sometimes you feel guilty for the books you choose because <laughs> you know you want to be like learning something or having this profound moment of of uh, discovery, or even if a, a historical fiction, you look back and later and think, was that an accurate depiction of this period in time? But sometimes you just want that guilty pleasure. I just finished a book yesterday, just horrific, but also amazing. A woman is a bridal consultant, and she mixes magic potions, love potions, and she helps a French-Canadian hockey player with his <laughs> dreams. But tragedy awaits. It was, <laughs> as I was reading the synopsis, I was like, this is, this is too ridiculous. I must read it. <laughs> and I did. And you enjoyed it? And I, look... Did I feel guilty halfway through? Sure. Because his name was Martin. It's like they picked like the only French name they could find out of this (laughs) New England town, but I loved it. (laughs) And you know what? Love prevailed, Brett. I did not see that coming. (laughs) Love won.